Hello and welcome to the seventh episode of the Mad, Bad and Downright Strange Showcase where I invite bloggers, filmmakers and fellow film junkies to help me work for the 1001 film introduction to cult and obscure cinema which is the Mad, Bad and Downright Strange list. As always, I'm your host Edward Jones of From the Depths DVD Helm and allow me to start by welcoming you to tonight's alternate Christmas special where tonight we'll be looking at both Christmas Evil and Silent Night, Deadly Night two festive-themed slashers with a much more twisted look on the festive season. But more importantly, joining me in the studio this evening, in her second appearance on the show, is Emily, who is not only the owner of the Deadly Doorhouse of Horror Nonsense, but also one half of the Feminine Critique podcast. Um, Welcome back, Emily. Thank you. Thank you for having me on Lucky Number 7. But yeah, tonight we're obviously looking at alternate Christmas movies. In many ways, the sort of counter-argument to the sort of more traditional Christmas movies where everything's so saturated sweet. Mm-hmm. You've got, like, happy families and people taking in the friendly hobo. They're all wearing and, beautiful sweaters. Yeah, and bursting into horrible songs, and it just feels like you're being pounded by a 10-pound bag of sugar. Mm-hmm. So in many ways, the alternate Christmas movies, these are films which the only main requirement is that they have to be set at Christmas. They don't have to be particularly festive. As such, we'd obviously got Christmas Evil, Christmas Evil, uh, as well as Silent Night, Deadly Night, uh, two sort of Santa-themed slashes there. Two classics of the genre, if you will. Yeah, uh, we've also got uh, movies such as Gremlins. um, Die Hard. Exactly. But Die Hard and Die Hard 2, um, for me, while it used to be this great thing to say, oh, what's your favorite Christmas movie, and then say Die Mm -hmm. Hard, over here, the movie channels have sort of picked up on it, so... They've got, like, the Christmas movie channel, and they're showing Die Hard and Die Hard 2. Uh, like, is it, like, a... See, here's a quick question for you as a Brit. Yeah. Uh, do, do you guys watch a Christmas story on loop the way Americans do? We don't watch a Christmas story. Uh, it's okay. one of those films that never sort of filled over here. Which makes sense, because that movie is so American. <laughs> we do watch Santa Claus the movie. Okay, which was... That came up on our Facebook group recently. Mm. We reviewed it on the Feminine Critique last year, and I I hated that movie. It's, you see, this is the thing, because obviously, you, I know that you said you hated it, but it's so ingrained, uh, especially in if you were like a child of the 80s. Yeah. It's so ingrained because they showed it on Christmas Eve, and it'd be like the film you got to watch, we packed it to bed to... Right, so it was Santa your, Claus. to you, what a Christmas story is to Americans, probably. Um, yeah, but it's, it's so wholesome. It's got uh, Dudley Moore in it, which is pretty cool. Um, it's got John Lithgow. Oh, and John Lithgow is the reason to watch that movie. He is so good in that. And it, I mean, it ends with John Lithgow floating out into space. <laughs> That's true. Oh, you're making it sound so much better than it is, though. I mean, if that doesn't say happy holidays, I don't know what does. Yeah, fair enough. Um, but certainly, I mean, if you compare, obviously, the likes of A Christmas Story, uh, the Santa Claus movie, to the sort of films which have sort of come in recently is such as like a santa claus yeah. with uh, tim allen which i'm sure is that shows like punishment if you've like ticked off disney you're forced to be in that movie i've never actually seen that movie and i it's, know there's been i think three of them but i've somehow always avoided it yeah it's um it's, it's like the um the those labrador movies the buddy series oh well i've seen those oh uh, you're kind of wondering who who's watching these because they keep making yeah. them um yes. but yeah it's, it's really bizarre because obviously the first santa claus came out and tim allen was still really hot coming off uh, right, home right. improvement it was, I think it was right after home improvement was kind of ending right around there because uh yeah i mean home improvement was was still kind of still even been on actually show. yeah 
Um, so of course everyone went seeing it, think, oh, be more home improvement style antics, but uh, no, it was just just awful. <laughs> I'll take your word for it. I'm okay without it. But um, obviously, I mean, t- speaking of alternate sort of Christmas films, I mean, obviously December for myself is just the busy time of year. I tend to skip over Halloween, which a lot of uh, the genre bloggers tend to get very excited about, and I just do all Christmas instead. I mean, are there any sort of films you like to dig out at all? Yeah, there's a lot for me, very much my childhood classics. So the Muppet Family Christmas, where they all go to Fozzie's grandmother's house. Okay. Or Fozzie's mother's house. Um, that one is, there's no good commercial release, but it's on YouTube in its entirety. Uh, I watch that one every year. I cry every year watching it because Jim Henson shows up at the very end and it's very touching. Um, Pee Wee's Christmas Special. Again, Pee Wee never made it over here, apart from obviously uh, Pee Wee's. I think it's Pee Wee's Great Adventure, where he loses sure. his bicycle, um, and I think that was mainly due to obviously Tim uh, Tim Burton, Burton obviously yeah. directing it. It's, well, I would say if you've never seen it, it is so worth seeking out because what it does so well. It was his. It was when he had his TV show, so it's an hour long Christmas special. But it's really making fun of the Christmas special that was big at that time in the like mid-80s, where all of a sudden you had the Star Wars holiday special, which is another one I watch every year, much to <laughs> my husband's chagrin. Um, but you had like so many just, just really poorly thought out but quickly made Christmas specials for TV. And so the Pee Wee's Christmas special is playing off of that idea. So they have the most random guest stars where they have Cher and Dinah Shore and, um, God, Magic Johnson, Joan Rivers. And it's like really, really embracing the ridiculousness of having Grace Jones show up and sing, um, oh, what is she saying? Uh, bum bum whatever that song is. Katie Lang sings. Yeah, the little drum boy, that's it. Um, Katie Lang shows up. Churro sings Feliz Navidad. There's a whole Hanukkah segment. It's ridiculous um but it knows it's ridiculous and it's really really entertaining i think so i cannot recommend that high enough i think i've seen the opening credits which seem to go on like for about five minutes oh yeah i think i put that up on my facebook page every christmas um and you like you, you can like go off and like make a cup of tea and come back and it's still going yeah but if you what's what great to do is if you watch like the star wars holiday special and then watch pv's uh christmas special because you can see exactly what it's doing how the star wars holiday special which is ridiculous and terrible but of course i like that kind of stuff um it's that same opening credits it's starring chewbacca chewbacca's wife han solo also b arthur and it's ridiculous and wonderful with Uh, special appearance by jefferson starship (laughs) it's a the star wars holiday special i think that's a a something for another show um it is truly awful and it is also the moment where i really stopped caring about glee glee to myself. Oh, but, God, because they effed that up so badly. Oh, Glee made the bold statement that every Star Wars fan knows that the greatest Star Wars moment was the Star Wars Holiday Special. I'm thinking, <laughs> really? Well, this that, is whole, where we're that going. whole episode of Glee, too, which is the same thing. They're kind of joking on the idea of the Christmas special, but the problem is they weren't good enough at making it a joke, and their audience, of course, didn't get it because their audience are younger than us, and so it's just really painful television. I did. Oh, that, that show was just... I think it's one... Well, I think I got up to the fourth season. Yeah. I, d- I just got to the point where it's sort of like, yes, I'm punishing myself watching yep. this for like all the good shows that we get. Yeah. But there is a point you where do, you, you just get those got moments, but that's one of those shows I think that if you made a list of shows that crashed the the quickest or the hardest, that's one. Because you look at season one of Glee and it's so good and it's mm. so clever and 
Um, like it's really making a lot of really adult jokes, but the music is so good. And then you look at what it became, and it's just sad. But yeah, I think when it became the Rachel Show. Yeah, it's just a shame. Um, other Christmas things that I watch, there's well, Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas. I love, but I find that I'm not always in the right emotional place to watch it because that destroys me. Okay. I've, again, this is another it. one that never made it over here. I mean, did you get oh. the snowman over in the States? No, we got the snowman. Yeah, that's the, like, just animated. Yeah, it's the, uh, yeah. It's the animated one because over here, a lot of kids get very upset that um, the snowman dies at the end. Well, that I mean, that's just the tragedy of any kind of snowman story that always <laughs> upset me. Uh, um. But we yeah, have the, the well Rudolph. Rudolph is also one that's kind of you're like, God, Santa's just a jerk in the Rudolph movie, and the Island of Misfit Toys is really sad. Because I don't know what it is. I think we we don't tend to get get a lot of these movies uh, coming over, or whether it's huh. the fact that it's just what you grew up with is could be a different sure. there. Well, obviously we got the Snowman. Yep. Um, and if we were really lucky, we got it with the uh, David Bowie Bing Crosby. Uh, oh, nice. Boy song. Drummer boy. Um, and rumor, rumor has it that uh, Bing Cosby didn't know who David Bowie was. <laughs> I could believe that. And David Bowie, of course, is at this point, is just fresh out rehab. Yeah. Um, oh. And he just thought he was just this nice, nice guy that. that with and a, so, like, the scene where he's like, oh, are you the neighbor? <laughs> that, that really is just real. I like that. But, um, yeah, um, another interesting, obviously, fact about the same guy who did The Snowman also did When the Wind Blows. <gasps> really? Yeah. Now this oh, is wow. this again is like the like when your parents let you watch Labyrinth and then it's like oh the Dark Crystal that's Jim Henderson you know this would be a fun romp. No, <laughs> this is the if if you're and not then your seen kids have nightmares blows, for the next three years. Yeah, uh, when the wind blows, it's basically about this elderly couple who survive um, a nuclear attack and are basically slowly dying from radiation poisoning. Oh my poisoning. god, it is, that is a tra- I love nuclear war movies. It's just one of those things I love watching. I own that one. It's one of those, like, they don't, it's not, it doesn't have a release, but you can basically buy it and they'll put it on DVD for you through Amazon. Mm. But that's when I watched it. I'm like, I don't know that I'll ever be strong enough to watch this again because it's really sad. But um, as we've obviously mentioned, uh, Die Hard's obviously... A, a big favorite of everyone's mm-hmm. Christmas, and everyone forgets it is Christmas. You know there are Christmas trees and yeah, absolutely a full-on Christmas set in there. Yeah, um, I think it's sometimes it's like the more subtle sort of movies that rather than the sort of ones that in your face. I mean, true films like Jingle the Way is a lot of fun. <laughs> We're gonna do that for our show next week. We're doing our our Christmas show for the Feminine Critique is gonna be Die Hard and Jingle All the Way, both of which it's it's been some time since I've really sat down and watched them. Oh. Jingle the way, I just love how it embraces consumerism. Yeah, see, I remember that when I first, when I watched it a few years ago, I was like, oh god, this is awful. But I have a feeling now maybe I'll appreciate it more. I don't know. Um, but yeah, they've just released a sequel. I've, I've seen, I haven't seen it, but I've seen that they I've, have, and I'm kind of excited. I've got, I've got the disc. Um, oh, you gotta let me know how it is. Unfortunately, it's not Arnie because I was hoping they'd be like Arnie uh, back for like second round with Sinbad, right. and they'd be like in giant Furby costumes at the end. <laughs> Um, um, but no, it's like the cable guy, and it's something to do with Christmas being banned, and he brings it back redneck style, whatever that's supposed to mean. Oh, wait, that's not a Christmas. That's not Jingle All the Way. Okay. Weird um, enjoyment of like the really bad Hallmark and ABC Family Channel Christmas movies, because you can turn them on, and within like two minutes, I can tell you everything that happened and is going to happen in the movies. Yeah, we uh, we started to get those to filter over here on our Christmas Twenty Four channel. Oh sure, because well, there there are so many of them, 
And what's fascinating is when you start watching them, you realize they all, they all, there's certain things they all do. They all have a montage. They all have like a, usually the actress in them. Um, typically it's like, oh, she's a career woman who needs to learn the real meaning of Christmas, which she learns when she meets a handsome man who teaches it to her. But it's always like an actress that um, is clearly uh, post baby, like trying to lose her baby weight. And it's the only job she could get. So if you watch it, it's like there's Jenny Garth, Melissa Joan Hart, and they all look a little pudgy. I don't know, Ace. Melissa Joan Hart never looks bad. Really? Are are you a fan of her? I love Melissa Joan Hart, but then again, I'm the Sabrina. Yeah, I watching she's Sabrina. from very close to where I grew up. She's from the town of Sayville, Long Island, which is just two towns over from me. Um, she's kind of crazy now, I think. She's a little bit, uh, I don't know. She, she seems a little off. But if you love Melissa Joan Hart, I will recommend a Christmas movie for you. It is called Holidays in Handcuffs. <laughs> and it is Melissa Joan Hart and Mario Lopez. Uh, and basically she kidnaps him to bring her to her family Christmas because she's tired of her, of course, guess what? Her family makes fun of her for being single because that's what all pe- families do in these Hallmark movies. Um, so she basically kidnaps him to pretend to be her fiancé. Uh, and it's weird. There's figure skating. Timothy Bottoms is in it. Um, yeah, it's it's a strange one. It's an ABC family. Oh, <laughs> that'd be no one to add to the pile. Um, yeah, there you go. I know this year I've I've said that I've while I was working out the list of obviously films I want to do obviously I wanted to do uh, wanted to cover Gremlins I wanted mm-hmm. to do Bad Santa which every year I say I'm going to do also I've never seen it. pardon I have never seen Bad Santa it's really really dark mm-hmm. um, there's parts where I just felt kind of sad and uncomfortable watching it okay. and it's kind of a shame because it is by Terry Zygoff who gave yeah, us Ghost right. World and Art School Confidential. Um, and as I said, it, it isn't. I, it's like it is. It's funny, I guess, in in parts, but it is a very, very dark comedy, to say the okay. least. Um, uh, a dark comedy that I would recommend, also maybe along those lines. I don't. It might be a little lighter. Is the Ref with Dennis Leary and Kevin Spacey from 1993, I think, or so, somewhere around there. Have you ever seen that one? Uh, no. But then again, this seems to always be a constant theme when we... There you go. ...on the show, you just... The Ref is highly recommended. It is um, uh, really really well-written, very funny, very sharp. It's Kevin Spacey right shortly before The Usual Suspect, so it was before he was kind of known. And the concept simply, Kevin Spacey and his wife, Judy Davis, are in the are about to get divorced, and on that... On Christmas Eve, they get kind of taken hostage by Dennis Leary, who's this kind of, you know, um, helpless uh, cat burglar. But it's you have Dennis Leary kind of doing his stuff. You have Kevin Spacey and Judy Davis doing like a who's afraid of Virginia Woolf type thing. Um, And it's just really, really funny. You get then you get Christine Baranski shows up. There's a lot of really quotable lines that probably after you see it, you'll you'll like recognize that people have been quoting them for years. Put it on the list. It's. I think we're going to end up with another list. <laughs> it happens a lot. I know. As as this shows, obviously, as we've done more and more episodes of this show, yeah. I feel myself. I constantly jotting down these titles, and while we're obviously working through one one thousand and one film list, mm-hmm. that slowly another list is being built. Yep. It's kind of like my second Death Star. I hear you. But as I said, I worry about that once we get through this first one thousand and one. Um, which can counts... I mean, you have five Silent Night, Deadly Night movies to watch, so hey. I know, I know. It's obviously as when we uh, talk about that in the second part of the show. Um, I was obviously trying to get through those, but they're tough going after after part one. Well, I uh, we'll, we'll 
we'll get there. I, I have strong opinions. Okay. Before we uh, obviously move on to Silent Night, Deadly Night, the first film we're going to be talking about this evening is uh, the 1980 uh, festive slasher, Christmas Evil, also known as You Better Watch Out. Uh, the film follows Harry, uh, played here by Brandon Margaret, um, a production line worker at the Jolly Dreams toy factory who harbors an unhealthy obsession with Santa, especially as he takes it upon himself to become the next true Santa. However, when Harry is driven over the, over the edge by the lack of festive spirit of those around him, he suddenly snaps and embarks on a murderous rampage. This film is a particular favourite of John Waters, who mm-hmm. has proclaimed it his greatest Christmas movie ever, and has even done a Commentary, commentary for track. the DVD. Yep. Again, this is a film which yourself, Emily, recommended it to mm-hmm. me first. Yep. Um, and sold it on the scene where Harry, while do, going on his Santa rampage, actually gets stuck trying to get stuck get down the chimney. That scene is so sad too. <laughs> you but, really um, want him to make it. You don't want him to get stuck. <laughs> or maybe I do. I don't know if my sympathies are in the right place in this movie. But um, obviously. I, since you're the one who recommended it, it's safe to say that you're a fan of this this I film. Love this movie. Um, interestingly, it was released before Silent Night, Deadly Night, but yep. it will be Silent Night, Deadly Night, which had all the controversy that surrounded it. And as a result, this film kind of got forgotten. Yeah. It's kind of unjustly so. I think so. I think part of the reason it is forgotten and isn't discussed as much is that it's not a straight out horror movie. It has no sense of being a horror movie until a good at least 45 minutes into it. And it's not like it's a slow build where you're waiting for stuff to happen. It's just, it's more of a character study, Mm. albeit a very low budget, you know, um, somewhat amateurly made one. But it, so it doesn't, I think it's a hard one to sell to people that just want a killer Santa movie because it's really not that. Um, no. But it's and and that's part of why I love it is that it's such a strange film. Uh, John Waters had a great dis- description of it, where he basically said it's almost like this man wants a sex change to become Santa Claus. <laughs> like he just loves the idea of Santa Claus so much, and he loves Christmas so much, and he loves the purity of it, and he just finally snaps to where he's like, "That's it, I'm doing it. I'm I'm Santa Claus. I'm going to do it." And that means you give the good and you punish the bad. And I'm just going to, I have one night to do it. I'm not going to get all of it done, but I'm going to do what I can to, you know, punish who I can and reward who I can. And it's so strange because it's really sad. It's one of those movies that's very, I think, um, I think some people could be very depressed by it just because the character is really pathetic. But there's, but it's also funny. I mean, you have a scene where you have an angry mob running with torches after Santa Claus. (laughs) But it's also sweet. Like, I I love the character of Harry. I refuse to believe that um, it doesn't end happily. To me, it does. That can be arguable. But to me, it is his story and is is a successful story for him. Yeah. I mean, as you said, this... in in I don't really want to compare it to uh, Henry Portrait's serial killer, but again, it's the same sort of idea. <laughs> yeah. It's in... Here we do have a portrait of a character. Uh, with Harry, I mean, obviously, he has got his Santa obsession. He wakes up in his Santa pajamas, mm-hmm. and then he goes off and spies on local boys and girls and keeps a naughty and nice list. I love that list. If you if you pause it at that list, it's great. Because, <laughs> like, the things he writes about the kids, it's like the one girl who's really sweet, he's like, is simply a darling. And the one boy who has all these things about, you know, reading dirty magazine, talked back to his mother, is a braggart, which is my favorite lot like moment in that film when he says that oh it, it i mean it 
the kids in this film they're so warped. It doesn't surprise yeah. me the fact that trauma decided to release this. Um, yeah, and it's and it's a weird one because it's one of those like if the typical trauma audience I don't think would really like this movie or they would mm. but like, even the title the original title was you better watch out which I think is a much better title because Christmas Evil just implies that you're getting a killer Santa movie and you're not. Yeah, it's. I mean, the other title they obviously used was Terror in Toyland, um, which again was kind of yeah. more painful. But you better watch out. Would have been yeah, I think that's yourself the right is a better better title here. And if you watch the the trailer for the trauma release, it's so spoilerific. Oh. I didn't actually put it on my review when I posted mm-hmm. my review last year. I just put a promotional clip uh, clip where he like turns up at this office party and gets mistaken for being the Santa. Oh, I love that scene. And then he starts going into this creepy ass rant, but they're all laughing it up, and it's sort of like really. <laughs> and that scene is so great because it really. Like, once he kind of becomes Santa, he's not, he's still, it's like that thing that maybe you do at home all the time that you really like, you know, you like singing in the shower or something. Mm. And then all of a sudden it's, no, you're actually going to sing in front of people. And you're like, but I don't know if I can. And that's him. He has spent like 40 years being Santa Claus at home. And then suddenly he has to ho, ho, ho and talk to kids. And he doesn't really know how to do it. But once he gets like the audience going for him, he can. And that, that party scene is so great because you're waiting for it to go wrong, but you, you don't want it to. Yeah. It's because, I mean, the whole build-up is, is is probably more interesting than when he actually starts killing people, which is really yeah. the sort of last which quarter. which I think is almost the weakness of this film. Watching it, um, re-watching it this time, I, I forgot how quickly he starts killing people once he decides to. Mm. Like, it's a very quick and that the scene the initial murder scene is just really funny it does not i don't know if it was meant to be but it plays very strangely and very comical kind of unintentionally and it's almost like i I almost don't want that there i want that like a little later i want to keep kind of you know the pacing is very strange but i think that's also part of its charm i think it's it's the scenes where he's like putting on the beard and he's assembling his little uh santa Mm -hmm. costume um, and the fact he has his little Santa van, because, you know, like a reindeer probably would have been a yep. bit too much of a stretch, but <laughs> he's like, he, he's there and he's putting it all together and you're watching him like assemble his little Santa suit and mm-hmm. obviously and, and, smolder- and what is he doing? Like welding and smoldering better toys than what his factory is making. Yeah. Cause it's, it's, he, he works for a factory, but they're making like just crummy ass toys. Yeah. But I mean, obviously if we can comp- compare to Billy, who's sort of like more the ticking time bomb. Harry just really, as you said, he just really wants to be Santa. And it's really bizarre the fact that he decides to become Santa because the whole trigger point is that when he was a child, he saw his father getting, should we say, kind of handsy with his mother while dressed as Santa. He, he saw mommy kissing Santa Claus, yes. Amongst other things. Yeah, well, indeed, yes. <laughs> and within that moment, his, his younger brother, who later is played, and I totally forgot this, by um, Jeffrey DeMoon from The Walking Dead and Shawshank Redemption and The Blob, uh, that his younger brother is like, oh, well, Santa Claus isn't real. And that just hits Henry at this, or Harry at this moment where it just ruins everything in his life. And, you know, it's it, it's a very sad life. Mm. I mean, he obviously has this, like, loner existence. He lives in his, like, little flat and that. But mm-hmm. at the same time, he's got his brother, Phil, 
who you said was played by Demand. Um, he tries to bring him in. He's trying to bring him back in the family. He's like, you know, come around and spend Christmas with the family, and you know, you don't have to live this solitary life. Mm-hmm. And he's like, no, I'd rather be alone. Yeah. Well, the, thing, the Thanksgiving Santa. Day Parade is such a great scene, too, because it's, you know, it's Thanksgiving, so he's supposed to go over to his brother's, but instead he's just home watching the parade. And of course he is. That would be the most exciting moment for a man who's obsessed with Santa Claus. Yeah, it's, um, I mean, I mean, my God, who, interesting enough, is also the father of uh, Fiona Apple. I know. How weird is that? Uh, which is just, just another reason to love strange. this movie. But he's he's just so good as a character. Yeah. I mean, yes, he's doing bad things. Um, but as you said, you, you, you don't want him to get caught. You want right. him to, to get away. He um, believes in what he's doing. And he believes he, what he's doing is right. And, you know, and you, you think like, and for the most part, and he, he really, he never kills anyone that isn't to him guilty. The, yeah. you know, he kills the, his coworker, but not his coworker's wife. He kills... Um, you know, the people at the church that kind of start picking on him and making fun of him, he kills very quickly and not clearly at all. He kills them, but does not kill the woman that was with him that kept saying, stop it, stop it. So, you know, I mean, he's, you know, he's, he's not a irresponsible killer Santa. Yeah. And then it's also interesting because he spends, well, most of the film behind his fake beard, that his only way of sort of translating this character is through his eyes. So yeah. you get this little twinkle and he's like being good Santa. Yep. And then he's like just these cold, dark eyes when he becomes like killer santa um and i mean there's this really great scene uh towards the end where i think it's uh john sequence where he's being chased and he like stops and he gives the gives the little girl a present Mm -hmm. and the fact that even when everything's falling apart and you thought well this would be the moment where he sort of snaps out and realize you know you're not santa that in his mind he still is right and especially now he's getting validation because now the kids are like no don't hurt santa claus because that's the thing, they, they act as a human shield. Yeah. <laughs> um, obviously, I don't know if that's because they're sort of more caught up in the image of Santa or they right. truly believe him to be uh, Santa. Um, but the ending is, um, again, it's something of much debate. Some people say that it's like a delusion. Uh, some people uh, like say, oh, you hear in the background there. You can hear the truck there crash. There is a sound effect. I like to believe that sound effect is just traffic elsewhere. Exactly. You, and I think it's really the genius. I mean, yes, it is a sort of sleazy, grindhouse sort of movie, but there is that kind of magical element to it. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say it's a lot more sort of more magical than a lot of sort of so-called traditional sort sure. of Christmas movies. Yes, it obviously is more questionable in its content, but certainly this, that sort of festive spirit is certainly more there. Yeah, I would agree. Uh, and they got the rights to a lot of Christmas songs in this movie that a lot of other movies avoid because they're too expensive. It's, uh, yeah, it's, I mean, obviously it's got the John Waters seal of approval as well as your own. I mean. Mm-hmm. Oh, and speaking of uh, home improvement, you can catch a very young Patricia Richardson in one scene. Okay, I missed that. <laughs> oh, it's the scene where the little boy, where um Santa Claus is like marking the house of the bad little boy. Yes. Yeah. And the mother is like, come on, get in the car, get in the car. And then she slaps the kid. It's this very strange moment of, like, parenting in the 80s was weird. Um, but that's Patricia Richardson from Home Improvement. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, very brief glance at her. <laughs> um, another sort of aspect I liked about, obviously, with Harry, everything, that, all these deaths are all Christmas-themed. 
Um, so he's using like sharpened toy axes. He, I mean, he even uses the toy oh, soldier yeah, the toy that he makes specifically for that. Yeah. Uh, which I thought was interesting because obviously with other sort of slashes they're just using more traditional sort of weapons or right. things happen to be lying around. So I mean it's kind of interesting the fact that even as uh, Santa he you know he themes his weaponry. Well, of course he does because he he is Santa. You know there there is no Harry in him at that point. He doesn't I think like to believe. A simple tale, but played uh, but played well I would say. Yeah. Um, anything else that you uh feel you want to say about this um there is some great weird fashion going on because you have the movie's 1980 so it's like kind of disco still sort of a thing uh and there's one moment that i almost like paused and took a picture of because when he's at the christmas party there's like one little girl who is dressed like a character from dynasty like it's just the strangest little outfit on this girl so the fashion in this movie is certainly worth a gander what is oh god the there's i have a favorite line which is when um the first death when harry is killing the guy at the church who's just it's also one of those great like tropes of some horror movies where there's just like jerks out there that are just essentially were born to eventually be killed in this manner by someone like this because there's people coming out of a church and santa's waiting there because he wants to get uh one of like one of his co-workers who's um who he thinks is a very bad person but before he can do that, these, like, three, like, 30-something people, like, come up to him and just start, like, making fun of him for being Santa Claus. They're like, oh, Santa, what are you getting me? I have impeccable taste. And then Santa just kills them. But the, the way they say it is just one of the weirdest bullying moments in cinema. That always makes me happy every time I see it. And and Santa kills them with, with quite impressive efficiency, too, at that point. Uh, especially it being his first murder. Uh, the scene with him trying to get in the chimney is there's something really sad about it, I find. Um, and not just because we've all seen Gremlins and know how dangerous it is for a, a mere mortal to actually go down a chimney like that. Uh, but you're watching it and he's stuck and you don't know if he's going to get stuck going down or stuck coming out. But you're just, I don't know, it's this like really tense moment, I think. Um, and the the director, whose name I forget, Louis the it was uh, Lewis Jackson. Lewis Jackson didn't really do much else. Um, I mean, he worked, but I don't know that he really did many other features and definitely no other horror films. No. And I, I mean, I, this film didn't. I don't think really garnered much of a following. And even now, like we were saying, it's still kind of a small cult audience. It's not. It, it is, does not have the audience that Silent Night, Deadly Night eventually did. Um, but it's just a strange film, a weirdly sweet film. Um, that I find it has such a like really earnest spirit to it that I feel really makes it stand out from yeah. most other um, Santa horror movies, I guess. It's I think as you as you said, it is a film that's slowly sort of finding its audience. It's still not as popular as I would like to, like it to be, yeah. but certainly through the sort of genre critics, it is sort of becoming more and more well known. Mm-hmm. I think certainly the fact it was released through trauma again probably didn't help it while it is a the sort of the best label yeah. that it could be released through um, it wasn't the right label for it really no it, they just don't have the sort of distribution that this sort of movie really sort of needs to be out there um and i think it's only sort of for word of mouth and sort of like midnight screenings it's it's another movie like uh P- pieces it's mm-hmm. really sort of yeah. slowly finding in its audience and the problem is that the audience um who are sort of discovering it are also just dis- so watching it normally with 
those of us who've already seen it. So we're kind of watching it more on a sort of a muse level rather, which kind of spoils it. If, so if you're obviously watching Christmas Eve for the first time, I'd always say watch it on DVD first and then watch it as a group. Yeah, it's it's because I don't think it's a great. I mean, it would be a fun group movie if you've already seen it. I agree because yeah. if you don't get the heart if you're watching it with people and laughing at the fashion and some of the dialogue and everything else. Yeah, it's. I think if you if you're watching it with the focus on it, um, then certainly the character of Harry is so it's so heartbreakingly sad. Yeah, um, it really is. And I mean, I the fact that he's able to like suddenly that he suddenly snaps and goes into this killer mode we don't get any sort of real warning he's not like no. uh, Billy in Silent Night Deadly Night where right so, where there's not where they're drilling flashback upon flashback every time he sees a boop it's uh, clearly boiling under the surface he's yeah. just like clearly just snaps and just and the things that get him too are great because it's the scene where he has his office party and uh, um it's like when he realizes that, you know, the boss made an announcement about how they're going to give toys to charity, but really they're not. Really, it's like, oh, no, it's whatever you make extra that we give to charity, but it's really on the workers, not on anyone else. And it's that, like, disgust he has with it. And then seeing how cheap the toys are that they're making, that it is really subtle, that it's these things that he finds offensive about the way other people are treating this holiday. Yeah, I mean, I mean the fact is that he actually writes a lot of the wrongs as well. I mean, he, he goes to deliver toys. That, yeah, to the hospital, and he's a hero there. Yeah, it's true, wonderful. he steals them from his factory, but <laughs> the, the fort is there. Exactly. Well, and he also made his own, right? I wouldn't say he... They, those might have been the weapons, now that I think I about don't it. think he, like, he makes his own. He sort of, like, corrects a few on his, right, on his right. production line, but it's not like... He's going home and then doing a, another day's work. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, the, the another thing I only realized this time watching it is that, like, the time frame of this movie, it starts, it covers, like, a really long time. Because it starts out, when he first wakes up, there's a, he has a sign on his, you know, 20 days till Christmas. But, like, when he first wakes up, it's like, I forget the number, but I think it's, like, 100 days till Christmas. So, it's, it's actually building over time, all of this, you know, uh snapping i guess yeah. but um yeah um obviously i'm going to leave off any sort of further viewing until we've watched both films because i feel that any sort of recommended viewing is just gonna there's gonna be a lot of crossover and it's gonna be a case of just recommending the same movies mm-hmm. but obviously just to go off topic slightly uh we obviously mentioned gremlins in terms of phoebe cates's uh, character her father dies coming down the chimney yeah um yeah. and i was well, I was obviously uh, researching into that one for a view I've been writing recently. Joe Dante um, actually fought to have that scene in there. Huh. Um, and it is, Gremlins is a surprisingly dark film if you... Oh, very much. If you watch it, and especially with Phoebe Cates' character, it's sort of like, oh, when people are opening their presents, there's other people opening their wrists. Yeah. <laughs> right, suicides, it peaks around the holidays. I mean, the, the original script for Gremlins, if you can get hold of it, it is completely different than the... Well, I know the mother dies. She does. She gets, uh, she gets knocked down the stairs. Yep. Um, Gizmo becomes Stripe. Oh, um, man. And these are a lot of things that Steven Spielberg, as the executive producer, sort of like came like, in Wait a minute. and sort yeah. of changed... But, um, well, I know that. Um, well, Gremlins is one of the films that led to the PG-13 rating. That, along with like Indiana Jones and Poltergeist, where yeah. it was like, you know, I don't think we can say this is for all audiences. 
It's just more funny the fact we over here in the UK they show it. It's uh, seen as being a family film. Yep, here too. Um, I think now people are finally kind of saying like, well, you know, family if you're aware of what you're watching type of thing. But it's because there's some there's some truly decent gore in that film. I mean, we've got the whole kitchen slaughter scene. Oh gosh, yeah. The uh, gooey sort of cocoon sequences and obviously Spike's meltdown sequence at the end. Yep. Um, yeah, the old lady in the wheelchair. Yeah, but we kind um, of... Yeah, it's, it's a horrifying movie. <laughs> but we kind of gloss over it because we have scenes like the bar. We have them sing along to Snow White. Because Gizmo and, is so cute. Let's admit it. And uh, yeah, obviously Gizmo. But I love the fact that there's another scene in uh, Gremlins I really love that um, where he's obviously like saying about, oh, isn't it amazing about the, uh, about the Mogwai and they multiply in this. And you've got Corey Fieldman who's there reading the comic book and he's like, yeah, yeah, fascinating. And I'm thinking... Like this just happens every day to you, right? Uh, it's hard to impress in the eighties, man. No, as I said, I think Gremlins is always going to be a Christmas favorite. I mean, it's the film which, for myself, got me into writing in the first place. Ah, nice. Um, because this can, again goes back to that time, in, and especially in the eighties, where you would rent a tape from the from like the video store, and it'd be like your tape for the weekend. Right, right. And so I watch it to get your money's worth. Exactly. Um, and when I was staying at my grandparents, they rented me Gremlins, and I watched this tape just over and over, like yeah. in a constant loop. And uh, my grandfather remarked, "Is sort of like, oh, you've seen it so many times, you could write the script." So of course, I went down and sat this typewriter, and I wrote what I thought was the script, but it's probably more close to a junior novelization. <laughs> Um, and from there, obviously, I, I just uh, got really into writing, and nice. that was my uh, one of my many random family mo- moments for Very you. Very nice. But, um, yeah, anything else that we haven't covered with uh, Christmas Evil before we move on? No, I think, um, just as I keep saying, it is so worth your time, because it is really unlike anything else. Definitely. It's a strange film made with heart. Yeah, and... It is one that's uh, definitely worth hunting down. I know you can find it on YouTube mm-hmm. if you haven't got access to a multi-region player. Yeah, but, the DVD uh, um, is pretty packed. It has the com- it has two commentaries, one of which is John Waters and the director. It has some deleted scenes. It has actually one thing that's really interesting. Um, it has cards from, like, the initial, um, what do they call them? The screenings, like oh, the, the audience. Lobby cards. Screen- yeah, 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 the lobby cards. And they're hysterical because it's like most people are like stupid, terrible movie. I don't get it. Um, I hate the characters. Has the director ever heard of lighting? But then like randomly somebody's like, this is a brilliant satire. It's it's really interesting. So the DVD is just well worth a watch. All right, we're going to take a short break. And when we return, we'll be looking at the second film of the evening, uh, Silent Night, Deadly Night. All right. Hello, everybody. On behalf of Nick, Joe, and Vern. We would like to invite you back for a brand new season of the As You Watch podcast. In our upcoming season, we will be talking about franchises, trilogies, and series of movies that you will recognize and some that you may not. We will also continue to post fun and insightful interviews with many people in the world of entertainment, as well as feature a lot of great guests from other sites and podcasts. So be sure to check us out on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Podomatic, and on Facebook. And don't forget to check out our older episodes on our site, asyouwatch.wordpress.com. And we're back, and welcome to the second part of our show this evening, uh, where we're going to be obviously discussing in a moment a second film of this uh, evening, a silent night, deadly night. I'm still joined by my co-host for the evening, Emily. Punish! (laughs) Um, 
And obviously, the, the second film this evening is the 1984 uh, festive slasher, Silent Night, Deadly Night, uh, directed by Charles E. Seller Jr. Um, Silent Night, Deadly Night has got the reputation of being one of the more controversial of the alternate Christmas movies. Uh, in it, it follows the young boy, Billy, here played by Robert Brian Wilson, who was left traumatized when he saw his parents killed by a man dressed as Santa Claus. Now, years later, he works at a toy store where, after he's forced to dress as Santa Claus, it caused him to suffer a major psychotic break, which, again, soon sees him go on a murderous rampage. Um, this is... Forget that there's a few more things that lead to that, because there's also... <laughs> it's like the perfect storm of everything that would make you grow into a killer Santa Claus. Because before his parents get mur- brutally murdered, uh, he, he visits his uh, catatonic grandpa who only comes awake when he's alone with him to tell him that Santa Claus punishes the bad kids. Um, then, yeah, his father shot. His mother is started nearly raped, but then just murdered. Um, and then he grows up in a terrible orphanage where the Catholic nuns beat him anytime he, you know, talks about the fact that his parents were murdered by Santa Claus. Uh, so, yeah, it's really just a matter of, uh, you know, there was no way he was going to not do what he did. It's, uh, <laughs> he's Billy, Billy, in many ways, is the flip side to Christmas Eve's Harry. Um, here's someone who doesn't like Christmas at all. Mm-hmm. Um, he's essentially forced into celebrating the Christmas holiday. Um, if he'd had his way, he'd just, like, completely shut himself away, but... As you said, um, the film opens up with uh, them going to see Grandpa, who's in the nut house. And am I crazy? Is it the same Grandpa that's in Troll Two? I would he's not be able to say with any random. Oh, I, I wouldn't be able to say offhand. Um, Let's see, um, Will Hare is the actor's name. Um, maybe not. No, not Troll Two. I don't know who I'm thinking of, but yeah, he's a creepy guy. Yeah, it's because uh, as I said, he's just he's perfectly sedate, and then as soon as he's alone, he starts like ranting about how santa's evil and yeah and because the and then the kids parents kind of like curse or just do things you know like don't they don't do anything sinful they just you know make a joke about santa claus or make a joke about whatever church and now at this point billy's like no no santa claus is gonna get you grandpa told me (laughs) and of course they don't believe him because grandpa hasn't talked in 35 years (laughs) yeah it's um i just want to know like what parents think that Going to see the crazy grandpa on Christmas Eve is the good thing right. to do. Right, and leaving your son alone with him. Um, this film's actually a favourite of uh, Jason Eisner, who did Hobo with a Shotgun. I could see that. Um, again, if you've seen Hobo with a Shotgun, you probably know why. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a sleazy-ass film. It is, incredibly sleazy. The actual attack on the parents is probably one of the most unsettling oh, scenes. It's, it's, yeah, it's almost... It's almost too mean for the movie. And, I mean, this is a mean... You, I feel like when it comes to horror movies, especially slasher, slashers, you kind of have two classes of them. You have the ones that, are, like, the Jason movies, to me, are pretty innocent in a way. Um, but then you have, like, this movie is a mean movie where characters are really brutally killed. And and the way, the one thing... Because, like, I adore this movie because it's just so out there. But there's one thing that I really do hate about it. And it is that thing that a lot of um, kind of the crueler movies do, which is before killing any woman, you have to expose her breasts. 
And I yeah. get it. You're going for an audience that's teenage boys who want to see breasts. But the way the movie does it is very, um, it is very exploitive. Where I always say, like, you know, a movie is made, to, a movie is sexualizing rape if the rapist takes the time to reveal the woman's breasts. Because you don't need that to rape if you don't have that much time to do it. Um, and this movie does that every time. Like, mm. it's one of those, like, things that's like, oh, this is kind of an ugly movie. It is it is a unquestionably a sleazy movie. Um, it's a good movie at the same time. Oh, if, it's if you can say those two things together. Oh, of course. Um, in many and as we said already, Christmas Evil got kind of forgotten, and this was the film which the critics really picked up, and it was greeted by mobs of angry parents. Oh, you had this was during the video nasty era. Mm. They and the main reason this was so controversial was the way they advertised it. If you watch that trailer, the original trailer, it is like if you were a little kid, like flipping around and you saw this, and all of a sudden there's Santa Claus with an axe. And the trailer is sold as if you don't know what you're watching at first. It just seems like another little Christmas movie, and all of a sudden Santa Claus is killing people. Yeah, um, yeah it was, you know, you could understand the backlash. It's a little ridiculous, um, but you could see why ridiculous it was like crazy parent groups would have been offended by this movie yeah i mean it's actually documentary it's the, the documentary going to pieces the rise and fall of the slasher film it does yeah. have a lot of really great stock footage um of that was taken around the time and you've also got cisco and uh Eba, and oh, cisco goes to town on this film yeah um, is, is this like, one where he's like shame on you filmmakers yeah and he's like the people who make this, they hate women. The people who watch this movie, they hate women. They want to see women tortured and murdered. And he did, it's, you can... And the thing is, it's like, yeah, they kind of do. <laughs> because <sighs> yeah. this movie does revel in the torture of women. Mm. And I mean, not to the same extent that some other films do. And it's not, I think, as misogynist as it is just kind of clueless about it. Like, it's the kind of movie where it's like, well, we have this actress and she has beautiful breasts and she's willing to show them. So can you take your top off before we impale you on a reindeer? <laughs> it's uh, it's certainly one of the more more memorable uh, moments of this, this yeah. scene, along with the sledding sequence, which <laughs> to me it just cracks me up every time I see it. Yeah. Because you know what's going to happen. So, But it takes a real – that's like one of those – because this movie is pretty quick about like, oh, here's a character. Now he's dead. And that scene, I feel like they really drag out where they introduce these bullies. And it's like a five-minute sequence where you like, okay, these kids are jerks. What's going to happen? And then like out of nowhere, it's like, and beheadment. Beheading, beheadment. Yeah. I love the fact that that they bully these kids, but they don't like steal their money or anything (laughs) like that. They steal their sleds. Exactly. These are the lamest bullies in cinema history. Mm. Other than the bullies in Christmas Evil at the church. <laughs> those kids would have grown up to be those bullies. <laughs> More than likely. Um, I mean, obviously, when the film was originally pulled from theatres by the original dis- distributor, TriStar Pictures, um, it would be re-released by the independent distributor, Aquarius Films, who actually played off all the controversy oh, uh, sure. surrounding this movie and used it as their marketing campaign. Yeah, why not? Um, which obviously did it no harm because it went on to become a big cult classic. Mm-hmm. Uh, spawned, spawned four, four sequels. sequels. Um, of varying quality, as we'll cover later in this uh, <laughs> this segment. You could say that. Um, and in, more interesting with the sequels, Mickey Rooney, who like detested this film, also turned up in Part 5. Part 5, The Toy Maker. Yep. Um, apparently the allure of uh, an easy payday was uh, more than his morals was worth. 
Well, you know, it, the toy maker is a little more innocent. Um, obviously, with this this one, Billy, he is more sort of your obvious psychopath. And the film, as you said, it it builds up. He has all these horrible experiences. Yeah, it spends a long. When you think about this movie, it's and I, I can't remember the breakdown, but it's like it spends a good what forty five minutes on him developing into this character. Oh, it it definitely does. I remember the first time I watched it being kind of frustrated the fact that the build-up is so long yeah um which made which is the reason i didn't enjoy it so much the first time i watched it the second mm-hmm. time i enjoyed it a lot more because you sort of know what to expect um and you've got these scenes where you've got like the sister superior who's there like basically uh filling billy's head with all this sort of Catholic oh yeah she's like she's stuff. the nun from hell she is your cinematic nun where there's only two kinds of nuns on screen. There's the really nice ones or the really evil ones, and she's the but, really um, one. Yeah, but um, Billy, I mean, he's, to start with, he's already on his own weird path. I mean, the fact is that you see him when he's, like, spying on the couple wearing sex for the keyhole, and then he... That's what you would, I think that's what you would do if you were raised, like, really Catholic in an orphanage. Um, and then he's obviously watched forced to watch the uh, same couple being beaten by the mother superior. <laughs> yep. Where she's just like, dirty, dirty. And that's what he learns. Anytime a woman takes her top off, she needs to be punished. In one hand, you've got this sort of, like, the Christmas trigger. In the other hand, he's sort of, like, got this sort of Catholic guilt yep. that uh, seems to fill it, fuel sort of Billy's actions. Um, and obviously, it's really just a matter of time. I mean, you see him as a child. He's being forced to sit on Santa's lap, and he freaks out. <laughs> um, and, like, obviously, the coup de grace is when he's like working the department store and he's like oh you can be santa claus and he's being forced to have the kids in his lap and he's like trying to hold back the emotion he's like begging these kids stop to be it. good stop it or i'll punish you <laughs> um and it's a great moment when the nice nun shows up to see him and she finds out he's santa claus and it's this like no no you can't do this and of course <laughs> by that point he's already snapped yeah and I, the the scene with just obviously because the the whole toy store, the owner when he closed the store, I just love the line. He's like, it. "That's it, it's over. Time to get shit faced." I love that moment. I want to work at that store and party with those people, because <laughs> they just as soon as it's over, it's it's the boss and like the head, whatever she is, head cashier. But they're just like you're trying to figure out. You're like, are are they together? Do they just only have sex at Christmas time? I don't it's know. So weird. It's, it's never really made overly clear. No, and it's like the most awkward Christmas party ever because it's three. No, it's like five employees, right? Mm. It's the the boss who's getting shit faced. It is the and I think is he in Christmas Evil? I just saw him in something, and it might have been Christmas Evil. Um, but so you have him. You have the uh, like the. The woman that's maybe in love with him, I don't know. And then you have the, like, cute checkout girl and her rapist boyfriend. <laughs> and Billy. Whole time, you're like, nothing can go wrong here. It's just a real fun party, isn't it? Exactly. Just yeah. the, five, the five employees. And it gives us a death by Christmas lights, which is that moment where you're like, okay, we're, uh, this is, uh, this is how it's going. It is, yeah, it's one of the few sort of Christmas-themed ones. We've also got the antler horns, which are used... We got the death yep. by sled, but for the most part, Billy's sort of more of a sort of traditional killer. He uses the box cutter, he uses the fire axe, um, and he also gets handy in one scene with a bow and arrow. Oh, it's uh, yeah. Where did he learn that? <laughs> I don't know. Is she? She wasn't exactly the hardest target hit since she just stands there. And it's like no. Yeah. 
I mean, I mean, he could probably walked over and kill it, but it, it, well, it's an interesting touch to have someone killed by bow and arrow. With it, but yeah, no, it's impressive, really. But um, yeah, it's the the gore in this one. It's not particularly heavy. I would say the the scenes of attempted rape are certainly a lot stronger than. That's the, the thing. Yeah, it's it's the way the nudity is used in this movie that's I think part of why it's more controversial than the actual kills. The kills themselves, other than maybe like the antler one with Linnea Quigley of all people. Um, Yeah, the kills themselves aren't anything that crazy for this era. But I think it really is the commitment to before we kill every woman on screen, we are going to rip her top off. Mm. And no one wears a bra in this movie. That's true. Um, I just put that down to be in the 80s. I guess so. I don't know. That's to me another way you can always tell like a male director is he'll have like a woman with big boobs who's not wearing a bra like in daily life. And no, she she would be wearing a bra. Like there's con- a convenience and comfort aspect to it. I'm, I'm just going to agree with you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm an expert on some things. Um, obviously, another sort of thing I really liked about the film is the soundtrack, uh, which in this case is provided by Perry Botkin Jr., um, now, a lot of the time, the the soundtrack you sort of like uh, using here is sort of more to sort of highlight the really sort of psyche, which is sort of fractured. Yes. Um, and I love the fact that the music just becomes ever more erratic, like the closer he gets to the edge. Yes, very much. Um, and there's also some really nice haunting sort of like more sort of traditional haunting sort of themes that are in the rest of the film. Um, but it's interesting also because he also did the soundtracks of both Happy Days and Walk and Mindy. Huh. So this was like his little side project. Yeah, like this was his dream, maybe. Um, but no, I mean, obviously it's not sort of one of those soundtracks that sort of sounds out in the same way like, say, Psycho does. Sure. Uh, but yeah, it's actually, it is very effective in a genre that, in some ways, it's funny because now that we say it, like... There are some slashers that really are improved upon by their soundtracks and by their scores, um, and every like every once in a while, like you don't always notice it. But yeah, this one actually it is very strong. Yeah, um, obviously as we said so before, this film spawned four spin-offs. Yes, um, we had *Christmas Evil* Part, uh, sorry, *Silent Night Deadly Night* Part Two, uh, which features Billy's brother, um, which. I like one thing they do in... Oh, I mean, I like everything they do in two. Um, but one thing they, they make a point of saying is that the way they decided to, like, help uh, the brother was they have him adopted by a Jewish family so he doesn't have to worry about Christmas. I just, again, that just went completely over my, my head. I didn't realize they were a Jewish family. Yeah, yeah, they, they mentioned it. Because it's, it's when he's being interviewed, and he's like, they sent me to the Silverbergs. They don't celebrate Christmas. <laughs> Again, I, I just thought that they just went uh, fans fans of Christmas, and you have that cheesy scene with the like doing the barbecue, and he's got like the chef's hat and stuff on. <laughs> yeah. Um, but part yeah. two is insane. It's that thing they did in the '80s where when they really needed to make a sequel but didn't have the time or money, and they did this for The Hills Have Eyes Part Two also, which is they just reused most of the footage from the first one and inserted whatever other time they needed with a new <laughs> story. Uh, it is one of the worst slash best performances by an actor in history because he's so over the top and it's wonderful. And I watch two more than I watch one because to me, two is greatest hits of part one. It is. It is um, what essentially what uh, Puppet Master Legacy is. And right, as you said, right. it's like uh, Hills of Ice 2, although it doesn't feature a flashback for a dog size. Which is kind of surprising. I think like 
maybe flashback from the eyebrows is their version of that. <laughs> the amazing dancing eyebrows. Eyebrows. Um, but as you said, the first half of this movie is just the the greatest hits of part one. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you just wanted to watch the kills and not have like any any of the sort of emotional uh, content. Yeah, and I think you get all of the boobs that way too. So if that's something you were worried about losing, don't worry. You still have all of that in part two. <laughs> yeah. Also make sure you get all the kills and all the boobs. Yeah. It is it is a win-win for everybody. It's not particularly fun to see, but as, as you said already, but they are there. Um, and then the second half we obviously have, of the film, we obviously have Billy's uh, brothers sort of going off into the normal world and supposedly living this normal life. Between, with both Billy and his brother, I have to question... Why are they so freakishly strong? It's a good question. It's not like they're like working out or doing anything like this. They're just like normal sort of guys. I mean, obviously with Billy, he's there. He's like doing all his uh, lifting heavy boxes all day. Mm-hmm. So you can token it to that. But uh, his brother, who I think the heaviest thing he lifts is two bags of garbage. Right. But somehow has this like manic strength and ability to fire a gun without yeah. with always hitting his target and like shooting a car and it just blows up because he's that good. But um, obviously, it did also spawn one of probably the most popular alternate Christmas uh, sayings of all time. Which is Garbage Day! Wonderfully done there. <laughs> oh, thank you, thank you. Not like I practice it every day in the mirror or anything. It's, I think it's impossible to talk about this film without someone bringing up, <laughs> bringing up Garbage Day! It's like the best five minutes of film. Because just out of nowhere, well, I mean, there's a reason he snaps. Once again, it's a bully. Um, it is a ridiculous murder, and then it just turns into a shooting rampage. Mm. And um, this is after he blows up his eyes using right, a car right, battery. Yeah. Yep. Um, it again, it's the problem I have with number two is that the garbage day um, sort of segment overpowers everything else. Fair enough. Um, I think there's only there's another great line where I felt like how a, a squirrel having his nuts crushed. This is these weird words, and you can, as you said, you can tell that they needed to get a sequel out. They didn't have a lot of money to do it. They uh, didn't have time. Which is why half the uh, half the film is just stock footage, and the Uh, rest of it, the other half of the other half, is just filmed in one room. I think because it's obviously him uh, having this psych evaluation, (laughs) right? Which is going oh so well. (laughs) Oh, it's a thing of beauty. But um, obviously. With this one, it has got more of a connection to the first film than the sort of sequels which followed. Well, part um, three is still direct. Is part three is actually a very direct sequel to part two in a way. Okay. Part I've... three is the bro- it's the brother character um, from part two. They don't really mention part two. They just kind of say, "Oh yeah, this is um, Billy." Now I can't remember what Billy's brother's name is. Um, but it's supposed Tommy. to be. What's that? I think it's Tommy. No, it's not Night, Deadly Night. Um, it is Deadly Night Part 2. Um, Rick, Rick, is it Rick? It is, will bug me to no end. Um, it is Ricky, yeah. Okay, yes, so Ricky. So, Part 3, yeah, he it's played by Bill Mosley. Um, and he's been in an, an institution, but also has brain damage, because I think he gets shot at the end of 2, or they imply that he's been shot. Uh, and he, part three is weird. Essentially, he has a psychic connection to a blind girl and is, like, trying to get to her to either kill her or love her. I don't remember. Um, it's a weird one because it does do some interesting things. But it's just, if memory serves, I've only seen it once and I just found it really boring. 
Have you seen three? I haven't seen three. I was I was trying to get hold of a copy of three, and I was trying to get hold of a copy of four. Um, okay. Four. I like actually. I like four and five. Well, um, four's um, directed by Brian uh, Yuzuna. Yes, yes, and it feels like it too. Um, and it has Clint Howard, which I'm always happy to see. Um, and he he wears like a dildo nose at one point. It's it's wonderful. Um, but four is by four. It has nothing at all to do with the other films. No, four, uh, is, four they'd start gone off. They tried to do what Halloween originally had tried to do, yes. and that do like individual stories. And yes, and four is about witches, and it's set in Los Angeles, which. <laughs> I'm never crazy about L.A. set horror films because I like – or L.A. set Christmas movies because it, it – to me, it's very jarring to see Christmas in, like, a very sunny California setting. Mm. Um, and that's something I, I I don't love about 4 and 5. Uh, but 4 is just interesting. The effects – it's Brian Usna, so the effects are interesting. The storyline's very different. It's witches and a seance and stuff. Uh, and then 5, you have killer toys. So. I mean, obviously, just uh, go slightly back to 4 – I mean, witches and Christmas, I wouldn't say two things that I would normally put together. Mm-hmm. I mean, do you, do you think it works? Um, I think it works because it feels different, and it feels, especially after so many Killer Santa movies, um, it just feels a little fresh. Yeah. And because it's told by someone who's visually really interesting, um, it, you know, it it's entertaining in a different way. Uh, I don't love 4. It's been a few years since I watched it. Um, I think I remember just more appreciating it than really loving it, but I, it's it's a decent time waster. I mean, it's certainly one of the few uh, Brian Yuzuna movies I haven't seen. Okay, uh, I, it's definitely worth checking out. Brian Yuzuna is just one of those directors I never feel he gets his credit a lot like Joe Dante. Yeah. Um, in that he's done great films, but he's always, in one way or another, been overshadowed. I mean, obviously, with Brian Yuzuna, he did the sequel to Reanimator, so, um, which he was obviously the producer for. Yeah, and a lot of people sort of sort of overlook uh, his actual talent. I mean, he did Society, which again is another which great. You still haven't seen. Society one... is is wonderful. Uh, is a wonderfully gory movie with special effects by Screaming Mad George. Okay. Um, which is again just another real selling point. Uh, yeah, I don't know if it's released now. I know for a while it did not have a release on this region, but it's worth looking. For. I know you can certainly get it in region two. Okay. Um, and I can't, don't believe it's too difficult to actually get hold of a copy mm-hmm, of Society. Sure. Um, again, it's uh, interesting enough. Society only had like a, I think it had a day cinema release, hmm. um, just so they could say it had been released in cinemas rather than right. just a direct to DVD or VHS, as uh, should we say, being seen sure, in the eighties. But um, no, um, Saturday Night Day Night Part Four is. Again, one of those films I haven't seen uh, as part of his back catalogue. I haven't seen The Dentist, but I'm not going to watch The Dentist. Uh, uh, I won't because I have to go to The Dentist this week. Exactly. I'm not going to, to watch The Dentist uh, purely because I, I'm already not too keen on going to The Dentist. And I don't want to make it worse. It's, it's yeah, no, it's it's not easy. I just, every time I go to The Dentist, I just wish they could knock me out and just wake me up when it's yeah. over. But... I will have a watch Dr. Giggles, which you did uh, cover on your Married with Clickers. Love it. Podcast, um, which is well worth checking out. Yes. Uh, it's a fairly entertaining listen, that was. Oh, thank you. Um, so it is on my list, and I will eventually get around to watching it, along with everything else on this list. Mm-hmm. I hear you. Um, but obviously, Sinai Deadly Night 5, uh, we saw Mickey Rooney as the toy maker, um, and probably one of the most misleading 
VHS covers of all time. How uh, so? Let me pull that. We have uh, the little boy, that, and sure. he's sitting there with all these like creepy looking toys, and you think this is going to be like Stuart Copeland. Oh sports. yeah, you're right. I see it. Yeah, it looks like a whole like a killer teddy bear movie. Yeah. Like you think None you're of these toys the are in it. No, they're not. But there um, are some killer toys that are pretty cool. Yeah, we get some. There's good like toys. evil rollerblades, an evil spinning top. <laughs> uh, we also get the caterpillar that burrows through someone's face. Oh, this thing freaks me out too. Um, and we also get um, a cyborg that tries to dry hump the main character. <laughs> I forgot about that. Um, which again is uh, kind of amusing, but probably not intentionally so. Well, and Clint Howard pops up briefly. Mm-hmm. Um, and it also features. There's actually the actress from Four. You probably wouldn't have caught it if you hadn't seen Four, but um, the main character in Five has like a best friend that the I think it's the mother of the kid with the rollerblades. Okay. And there's a great, very meta line where she says to her, she's like, "Well, you know, I had a really weird year last year or something," and it's clearly like they don't directly say she's the same character from part four but it's kind of a joke of like yeah really weird shit did happen to you in part four it's uh yeah sounds like deadly five at this point it drifted well away from the sort of slasher yes uh origins of of it and they were trying to really trying to do sort of creepy stories and all it really served to do was to kill the franchise um i mean since this was 1991 and we've not seen uh there was a pseudo remake that I did not see called Silent Night 2012 with, with um, McDowell. Yeah, directed by Stephen C. Miller. And I think this was like an unofficial Silent Night Deadly Night remake. But I, I don't know how true that is. Because I don't know if it has anything to do with like Billy. It may just be that it's a Killer Santa movie. Mm. I haven't um, seen that one yet. It is, um, yeah. it is on the list along with Saint. Uh, the, oh, the oh my god, I forgot about it. I haven't seen Saint. I forgot that I wanted to look for that movie. Um, you've got Saint um, is another one that's obviously on the list. And um, I tried to get through Elves last night, but oh, I failed. Did, you failed because it was not up to your standards? I, I think I got around the halfway mark and I was like, this is just too awful even for my standards. But I mean, hey, for a movie about... Nazi genetically engineered Nazi elves. There aren't any better ones out there. <laughs> it's, it's again, it's another of those films that was released because Gremlins made money. But <laughs> yes. it's not like a good one like Critters. It's yeah. more like a bad one like Ghoulies. Yeah, and Elves bothers me because the title is Elves, but there's only one elf in the movie. Yes. And I really wish there were more elves in that movie, just because it would have been cooler. It, um, it is a pretty cool-looking elf, as we said. It's just yeah. a shame that it doesn't have anything particularly interesting to do. Yeah, it's, I, it's one of those movies that I used to rent a lot. And my family, we used to always, for Christmas, we would always rent like these, like, every year we're like, oh, there's a new Silent Night, Daily Night, we'll rent that one this year. And we, I rented Elves more than once. <laughs> Um, so I have like a little bit of nostalgia for it, but I know it's not very good. I mean, obviously, since we've uh, since we discussed heroes, I mean, Silent Night, Deadly Night Five. Um, I mean, if you've got any sort of major four, so is this really just? It was still for me. It just feels like the series is just going through the motions. It, it doesn't really achieve anything. We have a few interesting kills, but the whole plot line it never really sort of uh, goes anywhere. Even though I, I think I definitely like it more than you do. It's by no means a great horror movie, um, but I, I I find it really weird, and that for that I like it. I like that it's Mickey Rooney in the movie, um, and that the, the toys are kind of cool and they're kind of interesting. 
Um, and it's just, it's not, I don't know, to me it feels different and it's a strange tone that the movie goes for. Uh, but uh, so yeah, I, I have a weird enjoyment of it, but I wouldn't say necessarily that it's good. Uh, I think it's worth checking out if you're looking for more holiday horror movies because it's different for that genre. It's not just another Killer Santa movie. And also, um, Mickey Rooney's character is also called Joe Petto. <laughs> I forgot about that. Yes, he is. <laughs> Which, to be honest, says everything you really need to know about it this film. Does. Really. I know. It's an interesting uh, hint to something else that also happens later in the film. Yes, so. definitely. Yeah, it's it's a weird one. Um yeah, I mean, four and five, and I, four, I don't know, now that I think of it, four might actually be a better movie, um, but five, I think, is a little more rewatchable, because it's killer toys. Mm. But. I mean, also, it's uh, the director of this one. It was uh, directed by Martin uh, Kit, Kit Rossier, I believe. What else did he do? He's better known for being a script supervisor for Tarantino. Uh, on his huh. first seven movies, he was the script supervisor. Which okay. kind of fit in, um, seeing as the sort of Tarantino's work is just essentially a homage. Yeah, that's to actually a pretty impressive film. role for uh, as far as a employee goes. Um, and I mean, in, in its own way, it sort of also falls into that whole sort of killer toy mm-hmm. sort of subgenre. Which I'm also a big fan of that genre. So because uh, you obviously got things like you got Charles Band's Puppet Master mm. Saga, uh, you've got Demonic Toys, and actually Demonic Toys is set during Christmas time. Is it? Yeah, it's another one of those L.A. Christmas movies, so you don't notice it's Christmas. And I, I don't think, think that's why, because I, I just remember uh, when when I watched the Monty Toys, I just thought it was very mean spirited. Yeah, it it is. Yeah, it's. I'm I demonic toys that I saw when I was very young and it freaked me out because some of the toy the toys are actually really creepy I think um, and the baby I still like kind of get the shudders when I see baby oopsie daisy but the movie itself is not great and it does it has a a very kind of mean tone to it underneath a lot of things yeah but um I, I think probably one of the most interesting parts about uh, the Titan Identity Five is the character the Derek who's a little boy. Uh, played by William Fawn. He's not a great actor. Um, <laughs> in fact, has three faces. We have bored, shy, or Prozac happy. <laughs> or the director gave me candy. <laughs> I did, I did, again, it's another of those films where you wonder, how did they explain this to the children? Right, right. Um, the answer is they didn't, but you wonder, well, then what did you say to him? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I really don't know, but... Um, yeah, I know. Obviously, you you enjoyed five. It left me kind of mixed. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if you if you make it through the first sunlight, Deadly Night, you might as well watch the rest. I would agree. Why not? Um, what better way can you spend your time? Come on. That's true. Um, and obviously, they've got they have got the legacy. But for my money, I would personally recommend Christmas Evil. If we're oh, going yeah. to watch one Killer Santa movie, Christmas Evil is the movie, and then. You know, if you want a double feature, follow up then with Silent Night, Deadly Night. I would agree with that. Um, okay, further reviewing. Um, obviously, we've talked over the podcast. Uh, we've talked about various other alternate Christmas movies. What else would you say is worth adding to that list if you're sort of compiling a list of alternate Christmas? Um, I would I would throw in a few more. Um, movie called Dead End with Ray Wise and Lynn Shay uh, from maybe like early 2000s, I think. Yeah. It very low-profile little movie. Have you seen it? I have. It was um, again. It was just straight to DVD, which meant a lot of people missed it. But it is right. is certainly worth watching. Yeah, it's a very interesting little. It's a family. It's 
parents and their grown children, you know, traveling for Christmas. And they sort of end up in this, um, like, middle of nowhere. Maybe they're in a ghost dimension. You don't know. But it just it's a very good, like, family road trip gone terribly wrong with ghosts movie. And it's really funny. It's very black comedy. Um, and that's just one that also just has really good performances. And there's so much going on. Uh, so that's one that I always recommend. There's uh, on the – if you've ever gotten the box set of six films to die for, they're Spanish movies – there's one called Quinto de Navidad, which would be the Christmas tale or the Christmas story. It's directed, I think, by one of the guys involved with Wreck. I can never remember. There's two directors of Wreck. One of them did one movie, one did another movie. But this one's about uh, like these like, 10, 12-year-olds who happen to discover a bunch of money the same day that this uh, woman dressed as Santa Claus is trying to basically kill them and get this money. So it's a fun, like, just sort of... Uh, interestingly toned movie where you have kids trying to outsmart this crazy Santa Claus that's a woman which is pretty interesting and different um, Rare Exports uh, I feel like now everybody's seen it but that's another strange one because it's weird ton- tonal movie uh, I don't know if it's made, f- it's a horror movie or it's for kids I don't know but it's just it's, different and weird the, It's a very, the problem with Rare Exports it's obviously ba- we had the two short films which inspired the main film um, but this is the Norwegian sort of uh, version of, of Santa, who is sort of more of a demonic sort of character. Right. Um, I know my uh, my friend uh, Jim Francis over at Calvacade of uh, Perversions. Uh, she actually sends me the most bizarre Christmas cards. And one year she sent me one with uh, this, like, what I assume was the uh, Norwegian Santa, because it's like this demonic uh, yeah. sort of hell beast. But, uh, yes, uh, rare exports is... A film you have to watch from start to end, and you can't sort of give up part way through because you will. It sort of brings it all together nicely at the end and explains it how it goes. It plays it very close to its chest. Yeah, it's, um, it's a strange one. And it's got a very sort of interesting family dynamic because obviously, yeah, they're up in the mountains in the wilderness, and these are very tough people. So you have kids going around with rifles, um, yep. and his father is he's. Um, his reasonably widowed father, he doesn't has this very bizarre relationship with his son, he doesn't know how to interact with him mm-hmm. um, and a lot of the time he comes off very cold and, to his son um, and it, it's just, in many ways it's like a really nice in how their relationship develops and you've obviously mm-hmm. got these fancy elements at the same time but uh, no, Rare Exports is certainly on my list Yeah, it's, it's very different um, I like Don't Open Till Christmas, it's another not very good movie but it's pretty fun and very 70s uh and you can find it like i have it on one of those mill creek 50 packs so it's cheap and on youtube and everywhere else the jack frost killer snowman movies are goofy before before being too self-aware of being goofy yeah um so i find them fun if they were to make one today it would just i feel like it would just be too winky winky yeah, not to be confused with the Michael Keaton movie of the same name. Um, although I love to think that a lot of families got confused and rented the wrong one. Although that that Michael Keaton one, that snowman is so freaky. That <laughs> thing, I find that thing more disturbing than the killer snowman. I just, uh, I, as you said though, the the fact that families get confused, it's like the uh, families who like watch John Waters' Hairspray. And it's like, well, I wonder what else he's directed. Pink flamingos. That sounds like <laughs> that a sounds laugh. delightful. <laughs> with the singing anus. Yeah. Uh, and then my last, I guess, recommend would be not a horror movie, but it's one of the strangest flops of recent years, and it is The Nutcracker in 3D. You're such uh, a champion of this movie. I, I, It is my 
goal in life to get more people to watch this movie, and I've gotten a few to do it. Um, Nutcracker in 3D is just weird. It's directed by the guy who did Tango and Cash. It was like his passion project. His whole life he wanted to make a Nutcracker movie. Somebody gave him $90 million to do that. And when he made a Nutcracker movie, he made a Nutcracker movie. And this movie has Nazis and uh, there's songs that don't make any sense. Albert Einstein is a character in the movie. He's played by Nathan Lane and he sings a song about um, relativity. Um, and the the actual Nutcracker is this horrifying CGI creature. There's so many like really disturbing moments where character where you rip a character's head off and put it on somebody else. Uh, there's a great moment where the Nutcracker, where the little girl's like, "Oh, I don't know how to fly," and the Nutcracker says, "Well, how do you know? How do you know you can't fly if you've never tried?" And I like to imagine like the three kids that actually saw this movie ended up in the hospital for breaking their leg by trying to fly. Uh, it's the and the best. Thing, the way I sell this movie so John Turturro plays the Rat King uh, who's like sort of modeled on like Phil Spector it's very weird and he has a song about how he's such a villain and in this song he reveals that he has a pet shark in like a tank behind him and at the end of the song what does he do he kills his own shark he, he drops in a neon sign in it to electrocute it and you're like why did he just kill his shark and it's like that's to show how badass he is that <laughs> He has a shark just so he could kill it in front of you to show that he's a bad guy. And this is a kid's film, and it cost $90 million, and nobody saw it. I mean, it's it's one that I, I have actually got on the list for this year. Um, I'm going to obviously try and try and get away because I don't like to watch Christmas movies outside of Christmas. I know there's people out that. there who watch Christmas movies all year round and all the power to them. But, um, yeah, it's I'd rather watch it within context. Um, which is probably why December is so frenzied for me, trying to get through all these movies. Sure. Um, but no, um, it's the trailer alone looked nuts. Yeah, I'm so curious to hear what you think of it, because nobody watches this movie, and of course they don't. And I, and that's part of I think you have to keep thinking when you're watching this movie is this was made for kids. This was a movie that was marketed towards kids. Yeah. Like, what child would like this stuff? Um. For myself, um, the another Killer Santa movie, uh, Santa's Sleigh, starring Bill Goldberg. Okay. okay. Um, in this one, Santa Claus is not quite the jolly fat guy we thought he was, but in fact a demon who a thousand years ago lost a bet to an angel, uh, which meant that he was forced to become the bringer of toys and happiness. Um, now time's run out, and he's returned to his former ways, which is, of course, bad news if you happen to be a resident of the wonderfully named uh, Hell's Township. Um <laughs> As Bill Goldberg basically lays waste to everything. Yeah, this this one I should rewatch because the first time I watched it, I felt I didn't love it. I'm like, it, if I felt like it was a little trying, a little hard, but I might enjoy it more if I kind of watch it without the chip on my shoulder. I've, I don't know. I, I don't know. It's because I'm like a, a fan of Bill Goldberg. Obviously oh sure, yeah. Fan. Um, but within the first opening sequence, where James Khan. This is where the film obviously blew all its budget. It's like the budget. best assortment of actors in one scene. It's just like this random uh, party dinner party slaughter that I think's up Brand there with like, the likes of Punisher Warzone. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I could see that. Um, where he just basically creatively kills every single person in the room, yep. including uh, Chris Kattan and Fran Drescher. <laughs> it's a uh, yeah. It's it's a, it's a really mixed cast, but again, it's one of those movies I wish more people had seen because it is. Mm. 
kind of overlooked and people just called it ran it off because it went straight to DVD as right. being being naff, which it really isn't. Which it end today I, I like to think people understand that that's that just happens. It doesn't matter about the quality of a film anymore. I think the stigma has certainly been the stigma, sorry, of yeah. has certainly been removed from these uh, sort of films, especially mm-hmm. when you have so many direct to D V D sequels. Yeah. And because I mean less and less people actually go to the movies, you know. Yeah. Um, also on my list, uh, I'd like to throw in Santa Claus Conquers the Martians. Okay. I will watch the MST version of that and the other, and the Santa Claus, uh, one every year. It's, uh, currently ranked at 83 on the worst movies of all time on IMDb. Oh, it's not that bad. Um, in many ways, a forerunner to Nightmare Before Christmas, there are some right. striking similarities between the two films. Ah, huh. yeah, I could see that. Uh, Nightmare Before Christmas obviously is on my list as well. Mm-hmm. Which I think it goes without saying. It's it's surprisingly Disney made a film as dark as Night Before Christmas. Yeah. Uh, but then again, you have got uh, Tim Burton and Henry Selleck in the ranks. Mm-hmm. Yep. Who both, if they're not on the same street, they're, uh, they're certainly on the same avenue as each other. Yes. Um, and it's a shame. It's a film that's so good that they've not as yet uh, managed to sort of create a true sequel. I mean, Frank and Weenie certainly came close. Um, Course Bride was just a mess. But um, yeah, Cor- uh, Corpse Bride I found very boring. Yeah, um, I fell asleep when I saw it in the theater. But Night Before Christmas is is it's just a yeah. modern musical that actually works. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Great um, songs too. Yeah, there's some there's some really good good songs on there. I mean, do you have a favorite character from Night Before Christmas? Um, I I love the three kids. The I uh, can't remember their names now. Yes, yes, I love them. Yeah, Little devils. I would, their their I, song is my favorite song, I think. Yeah. I love Claus. Barrel uh, with his green mask. Mm, I can see that, yeah. Um, and the other one, my other favorite, being the mayor. Oh, I love the mayor. He's yeah. just neurotic at the end, or just the, the little cat siren that they have. Mm-hmm. But it's one yeah, of those it, films... It's a, it's a great film, and it's one that I think... Um, there's that there's a weird Tim Burton backlash now that I understand in the way that like I'm tired of seeing the same movie from him all the time. Yeah. But there's also, like, there's kind of a new cult of Nightmare Before Christmas. Like, you go to Hot Topic now, and it's all Nightmare Before Christmas stuff. Um, but, I mean, I actually think it's great, because it's something, I mean, I remember when it came out, and I loved it, and very people, few people saw it, and I, it was such a disappointment. It was a, a box office disappointment. Mm. So I don't have a problem with it finding its cult now, so. I think it, it just really appealed to me as a kid. The, oh, yeah. well, the scene in the trailer, especially where so it's like, oh, what if Father Christmas brings you, brought you in and like, pulls that shrunken head? <laughs> that moment. But it's a film you can watch you can watch over and over again, and every time I guarantee you to spot something different, there's just so much detail. Yes. The song's yes. absolutely wonderful. Um, and again, it's just absolutely wonderful. But to round off the <laughs> random list that we've uh, compiled uh, just oh, now, like, yeah. um, it's a film that I saw just go last year, and that's Bikini Bloodbath Christmas. I don't know this one. Um, it's the third of the Bikini Bloodpath tr- trilogy. After uh, I'm not familiar. After Bikini Bloodpath Massacre and Bikini Bloodbath Car Wash, um, they turn their attentions to uh, cri- the Christmas holiday. Naturally. This is. If there's one time a year that most women are wearing bikinis. It's Christmas. <laughs> it's. It makes sense. In this uh, weird sort of world. Okay. Although it's not a trauma-produced f- film, it is very much the same vein. If you okay. watch trauma movies, you will certainly get a kick out of this movie because it is crude and it's gory and it just doesn't give a damn. Um, and it's directed by uh, Jonathan Gorman and Thomas Edward Seymour. When I first reviewed this movie, I was, I would say, a little brutal, should we say. 
Okay. Um, and it, I was like obviously going for my links, and I noticed that Thomas Edward Seymour's page had come up in a number of hits. So I click on it, and he's commented on it, and he said said that it was great but brutal at the same time. And there's something about a director accepting criticism for Definitely. his work and not being like just a whiny bitch about oh, it. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, that made me see this film in like a, a completely different light. Um, and it is the first time you watch it, you may find it's just like really full on. It's just completely out there. Um, but the second time, again, it's one of the films you know what you're getting, and okay. it is kind of warped and it is just in a way. It's while it doesn't perhaps push it as far as John Waters would with his curie tumor. Okay. It's certainly certainly trying to go for it. All right, all right, um, I'm intrigued. But Do I need to see the first two bikini oh, bloodbaths? No, you don't, you don't okay. need to. Uh, You're sure there's no continuity that I'm not going to get? There is some. Um, I mean, it's the fact that the girls are, are working at the... They're now working at a pot emporium called Snot Locker. Um, and they're battling the Christian rivals across the street um, who work at the underground deli. Um, despite being Christian, again, they have very loose... Uh, opinion on what's acceptable Christmas wear because they're also bikini clad <laughs> um, to tie it all together Chef Def who's like the zombie killer chef uh, okay. comes back but that's just like a very minor thing and it seems to be just sort of thrown in just to sort of keep it all together Okay. but okay. Uh, keeping the trauma link there the trauma founder and president Lloyd Kaufman actually shows up in the film well uh, I, I don't know that it's too hard to get him to cameo in something <laughs> he does he's always there to support especially if there's women in bikinis i think he's like kind of you know you're twisting me he's like an alert on his phone whenever that happens yeah he's uh appears as dr o master blaster okay um i mean this while this obviously sounds random enough as it is we got a there's a really poor sort of drag queen i mean it's sort of like the how monty python do drag queens Gotcha. It's that sort of standard who like runs a uh, snot locker, um, but we also have uh, Prince Corwin and Rel the Cyclops and Kroll who show up randomly. Okay. And they're trying to hock the glaive. Hop, d- trying to do what? What? The, the uh, weapon from Kroll, the spinny blade weapon. Oh, okay. That's, okay. Uh, sort of like the weapon of choice in that movie. Uh, they're actually they obviously here on hard times as they're trying to trying to hock it. Okay. As I said, it, it probably makes zero sense when you watch it. When I'm trying to explain it now, it probably makes zero sense when you watch it. But um, there's a really great uh, soundtrack by White Liger, who do a bunch of rocked up Christmas songs. But if you're looking for something crude, then <laughs> Bikini Blood Five Christmas is um, a good one to go. And you can get it easily on DVD or, again, it is on YouTube. Okay, sounds good. Um, but, uh, yeah, I would say, say that's... Uh, <laughs> A fair selection of uh, random Christmas viewing. Um, anything else that you want to add I, on? I did think of one more that I forgot about. Okay. Uh, if you ever wanted to hear um, uh, Keanu Reeves sing and Drew Barrymore sing in a Christmas movie, there is the 1985 version of Babes in Toyland, which is a really strange version of Babes in Toyland that has Keanu Reeves singing. Okay, because he, he obviously has his band Dogstar. Who I've never actually well, that's heard. true. I guess, I guess I guess more people have heard Keanu Reeves sing than I would have thought. Well, but, yeah. I know he has a band. I've not actually heard, <laughs> heard any music by the band. Well, it's, it's worth it's worth a look. There's also Richard Mulligan's in it. Jill Sholin's in it. Uh, it. It is a strange little movie. Cool. Um, 
Well, I guess this uh, brings us to the inevitable conclusion of uh, this year's alternate Christmas special. I'd like to thank Emily again for coming on the uh, show this evening. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Um, obviously, you've got your own alternate Christmas uh, selections coming up with the Feminine Critique. Yep. So we'll be talking about Jingle All the Way and Die Hard, and that will be probably next week. So just look out for the Feminine Critiques next episode. Okay. Um, and obviously, if people want to uh, read more of your stuff or... Uh, hear more of your podcast and antics where can yep. they find you they can go to deadlydollshouse.com and I'm there cool um well again thank you uh Emily for coming on the show it's uh been a fun joy as always and hopefully we'll get you back on again soon for some more random viewing alright sounds good um until next time though this is Edward Jones signing off and remind you all to keep it strange happy holidays happy holidays